This is episode 96 of the Creative Giant Show. I'm Charlie Gilkey. Thanks so much for joining me today. Peter Drucker said, The only things that evolve by themselves in an organization are disorder, friction, and malperformance. In a similar vein, it seems that businesses and organizations naturally tend toward complexity, much to the dismay and frustration of the people in them and those who interact with them. You can't beat complexity with more complexity. Ken Siegel joins me today to share how leaders have to think simple to counteract complexity in their organizations. Ready? Let's do this. Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. Hello, Creative Giants. I'm delighted to introduce you to Ken Siegel. Ken is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Insanely Simple. Working with Steve Jobs as his ad agency creative director for 12 years, spanning Next and Apple, he led the team behind Apple's legendary Think Different campaign and set Apple down the iWay by naming the iMac. Siegel has also served as agency global creative director for IBM, Intel, Dell, and BMW. He is an international speaker on the power of simplicity and frequently appears on cable and internet news for his marketing insights. Ken, thanks so much for joining me on today's episode, and I'm excited to talk to you. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. All right, so let's open it up with a couple of stories here, because one thing that caught my attention was actually the foreword, which was, for Jeremy, I'll get you to Australia one day, I swear, had to write a book first. Can you give us a little bit more of that story? Is that a really personal one? Well, it's just that um, I get accused of disappearing for long periods of time when I'm in writing mode. So uh, I did promise my son a while back that we'd go to Australia, and he's getting older and older. He's going to college this year. So um, we, I, I just said it kind of as a joke because I've been telling him that all along. But lo and behold, uh, about two months ago, I got an offer to go speak in Australia, which I get, I usually go once or twice a year um, in August. So I'm going to be doing an event there. And that's two weeks before the kid starts college. So it's like utterly perfect. So I was able to act, to show him the book when it came in. I, you know, that's the first time he read the dedication. And then I got to say, and would you like to go to Australia this summer? <laughs> so it's perfect. You get to deliver all sorts of promises there. That's right. Alrighty. So um, Think Simple is coming after Insanely Simple. And so I really like to know what, um, you know, book writing is not for the faint of heart, as you know, right? Um, what was really the genesis or the inspiration to, to extend it or to c- carry the conversation forward from Insanely Simple to Think Simple? Well, um, the simple thing was in my head for probably 10 years before I wrote a book, uh, the result of my having worked uh, in the world of Steve Jobs and for ad agency Shy Day, which did amazing work and always struck me as being so simple. <laughs> so between the agency and the client, I was very you know, moved by the whole idea of, of the power of simplicity. So I wrote that first book and that was all about Steve Jobs and Apple, because that's what my experience was, the main experience, and I thought that's what people cared about. Um, And that book did pretty well. But 
so I, I, I started speaking around the world. And um, the, it's funny because everyone's so into this whole thing. Simplicity is so powerful and people don't talk about it enough. Enough people take it for granted and whatever. So uh, the topic really struck home. But probably, you know, sometime in the first, second or third question, people would say, well, you know, we get it. Simplicity is a good thing, but how do we do it, really? And I don't know, really. <laughs> I was talking about the principles of simplicity. So I thought it was a pretty good follow-up to go out in the world, find many different examples of people who are employing the power, of, uh, or leveraging the power of simplicity, and hear their stories. So that's what I did. I ended up talking to 40 business leaders around the world in many different industries. So it's a it's a much more diverse book than the first one, but it still focuses on the power of simplicity. And, and simplicity, as you know, shows up in so many different places. It's not just in products. It's in the way the company's organized and the way, you know, the philosophy of its website and, you know, the way it hires people. They're just a, a million different ways. So it was kind of interesting to me, more than kind of interesting. It was very interesting to get the opinions of all these really neat people around the world. Some, some big companies, small companies, famous companies, up-and-coming companies, uh, and many different industries, you know, finance, uh, groceries, you know, household goods, um, technology, all kinds of different uh, industries. And they all had their unique views on, on the power of simplicity, but also some threads that were, you know, they all had in common, which was interesting too. I think on the one hand, we all intuitively know the power of simplicity, right? So we kind of get it. And on the other hand, it's not natural for us to do. It's hard, it seems, to keep things simple. Um, it seems like, yeah. the, you know, the larger the organization gets, the more you have to be an advocate for simplicity. Yeah. Um, do you happen to have any idea? I mean, you have 40, um, you know, 40 interviewees and you have a lot of experience. What is it about, you know... Um, about simplicity that makes it so hard for organizations to stick with or cling to? Well, some of the people I talked to had interesting theories on that. Well, first of all, uh, Steve Jobs always ends up being my example. And it's probably not fair because he was so you know, incredibly unique. You know, people don't have that kind of personality and vision and all that kind of stuff rolled into one. But Steve had the ability to keep everyone in line, not, not like, you know, being like a brutal way, you know, like a slave driver kind of a thing, but he kept everyone, he gave everyone focus and encouraged great creative work, et cetera. Um, so it's very difficult. Um, being simple is not simple. It's easy to say, but it's true. Uh, Johnny Ive has said that quite often. It just takes a lot of work and, and someone like Steve Jobs was able to do that. But the problem is, and one of the people I interviewed had an interesting take on this, um, which is that all people prefer simpler solutions. That's built into us as every one of us as a human being. Of course, we prefer things to be easier than harder. That's kind of doesn't require great brain power to, to make that leap. But for some reason, when we're working inside a company and someone's paying us to do a job, we feel obligated to prove to the world that we're smart and we can contribute. So you get all kinds of ideas and processes and things sort of layered on and on and on over the years. And 
it can make things a lot more complicated. I mean, when a company comes up with a process, normally it's to ensure that some kind of success can be duplicated over time. Uh, and that's fine. You want to be able to have like a process in place. So when new people come in, they can just sort of follow, follow along and make the same thing happen yet again. But it seems that all these smart people keep adding things on, whether it's features on a product or a service or a website or whatever. So um, one of the guys I talked to was um, Brian Hartzer, who is the CEO of Westpac Bank in Australia. And it's the second biggest bank in Australia. You know, dozens of offices, tens of thousands of employees, a big company. And he said, that's what he discovered. And he's a huge fan of simplicity, by the way. Um, he said that over the years, these things happen. And what he found himself doing was what he calls swimming upstream. So if he has a product, he would kind of go back into the past to see where it started and what its functions were and, and why it was so successful. And then look at all the things that have, been, that have been added on over the years and realize that, you know what, we should probably get back to where we were to a, a more pure state. So that's what he's been doing. That's been his guiding philosophy is sort of simplifying a lot of the products that they already have that became too complicated over time. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about, I was thinking about that question before the interview. And one thing that came up for me, you know, as I've worked with organizations and entrepreneurs is it's almost like no one gets credit for simplifying things. Well, no one is, you know, it's an absolute, but we don't often record like, Hey, you made that so much simpler and easier and so on and so forth within the organization. Right. But we seem to get credit for adding things. Right. Um, and so you added this new process. You, you, you made this better by addition, but you didn't necessarily make it better by simplification. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I wonder about that. I mean, it's just, and I know that's a gross over overgeneralization, but um, it kind of reminds me, for instance, in the military, like we used to joke that whenever there was a new acronym, that there was a new major that got an award for that acronym, right? Um, that, that was his or her contribution to, to that is coming up with a new acronym. But it's just really good. Yeah, um, I think that, that is true. Uh, one of the things about simplicity, I come from the marketing world. Sometimes, you know, if you're a creative person, you have a creative director. And the thing about a simple solution or a simple, you know, creative effort, it just looks like so easy. <laughs> like you show, show some work to your supervisor, it's not uncommon to have someone go like, really, that's it? You've been working for a week and that's your idea? It's like, yes, look how simple it is. And it's like, well, it's not very creative, is it? Like, well, it is, you know, and you have this whole discussion. Um, that's why I loved it, you know, the agency shy a day where I worked because I think it, it embraced the idea of simplicity. And I used to feel that about their advertising. There were some huge campaigns they did that really took the world by storm. And I would look at them and go like, really, nobody's thought of that before? It's kind of obvious, isn't it? And then the more I thought about it, I realized, no, it's never been done before. It just looks obvious. So there are probably people in the world who would have looked at that idea and said, mm, it, it seems too obvious can't you do something more creative? And some of the most creative ideas on earth feel familiar in that way. Just, you know, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, sometimes there's creative idea and there are creative ideas that do feel familiar and are bad, but that's, you know, the value of being really good at your job is you can identify which ones have that, that kind of value, the power of simplicity and they are creative. 
I think this actually ties into um, this idea, I, I call it Black Beret creativity in the sense that we, we think that creativity has to look a certain way, you know, like someone that's got a Black Beret and just sort of really eccentric has come up with it, so on and so forth, right? Yeah. As opposed to really practical little eye innovations that happen that once someone moves, for instance, at Subway, you know, changing the orientation of the peppers and the lettuce to, to be a better flow, like it's not going to be like mind-boggling to anyone, but it's incredibly useful and incredibly creative and incredibly simple. Right. Um, but no one says hey, like, Hey, that's a really great idea. It's just kind of like, duh. But I think it's that duh that we actually need more of than the sort of like um, creative art that we have to think about in some of the practical applications that we actually want them to be. Right. And, and you're, you're touching on a very interesting topic because when you're dealing with creative people, there is this need to be creative and, and if you don't feel like you're being creative, you're, you know, you don't feel proud. You don't feel like you're contributing. Um, and if you're not recognized as being creative by your, the people who are supervising you, um, you know, but it, it is so subjective and, you know, the same, you can have the, the same degree of, of creative talent in one place and be rejected and go to another place and, and be praised and promoted. Um, so I've always said to people, you know, just, you know, as job advice in, in the world of advertising is, you know, don't get depressed if you're not being appreciated where you are, because there's probably a place down the block that's going to double your salary and say you walk on water. You know? So got to stick with it and do what you believe in. Yeah, I was reading, I think it was um, Bly. What's, what's Bly's first name? Do you know Bly, the copywriter? Um, uh, no. Oh, it had to come to me. But um, he was saying in, in conversion copywriting or in, in ad copywriting, like the right solution is the one that gets people to buy, right? And so, you know, like the overly clever one that, and things like that, if it doesn't get people to buy, that's bad, right? And good. But, he, you know, that's one way of thinking about it, obviously. There, there's this whole spectrum that I like that you've illuminated there. But you really have to think that, you know, um, yeah, simplicity. I think that's the thing about simplicity. Not only is it subjective, I think there's also a um, utilitarian or utility value to it, right? That sometimes yeah. something that's more simple makes our life better. Sometimes that things that require us to think actually make our lives better. And that's where we get stuck, I think. Yeah. I mean, there's, there are all these shades of gray in creative development and, uh, you know, what you just said about things that, things that make us think they're, they're more powerful. Um, maybe this is a separate topic, but, you, you know, sometimes you have a headline or something that, that is a little bit, strange that someone would actually have to stop and think about it for a couple of seconds, but when they get it, it's so much more memorable, you know, it's, you know, but you could argue that another line might be simpler, you know, so uh, again, so there's the, there's a simplicity quotient <laughs> for every thing that you do, but then there's also, you know, the value of the idea too, and it, it all has to be weighed. Um, at the end of the day, it is a subjective business and there are people who are better at it than other people. I do think it's a talent that can be nurtured and, and, and grown over time. As you were interviewing your 40 um, interviewees, um, were there a few, or what were some of the surprising things that jumped out for you that like you hadn't anticipated people to take that route or just tell us about the surprises through your research. Well, one thing that surprised me, I guess I secretly hoped it would be the case, but there is a, a perception that big companies 
you know, are just doomed. Basically, they can't ever get simpler. And I talked to a couple of very big companies that have done an amazing job of simplification. And I was very impressed that their CEOs, you know, had that opinion. And, and they were unique people in that they didn't, uh, they weren't led by numbers. They, they believed in their own instinct quite a bit. But they also, much as Steve Jobs did, let me start at the beginning. <laughs> the first reason, first thing that made me believe a big company could actually become simpler is, is Apple. You could look at what Steve Jobs did when he came back in 1997. The company had grown 11 years without him or had stumbled for 11 years, whatever. But they're all over the world. They're a big company. So Steve walked in the door and had to simplify it. Um, any CEO anywhere on earth could wake up one morning and say, you know what, we're going to do some things. And what Steve did, uh, according to the people who were there working inside Apple with him, was pretty much one step at a time, just didn't try to do too much. It was, it was a very methodical approach. So I talked to these people, um, Telstra, which is the largest telecom in Australia, um, and, and Hyundai Card, which is the credit card division of Hyundai Motors. Um, which is uh, two very different companies in different cultures, very, very large companies, and, they, and their leaders undertook a simplification program that resulted in making things easier to focus on for employees. Uh, it makes it, you know, you, you, people vastly prefer working in an organization that, that is simpler. They know what they're doing every day. Um, and then easier for the customers as well. So... Um, and they had interesting techniques for doing what they were doing. Um, the credit card company, just because just popping into my head here, um, it, you know, it's funny. It was, there was almost a bit of Steve Jobs in that. This guy, his name is Ted Chung. He showed up there, I guess it's about 11 or 12 years ago now, but the company was losing over a billion dollars a year when he came in, and now it's making profit more than a billion dollars a year. So he's gone total extreme one to the other. And um, he did it in an unusual way for a credit card company that, again, made me think a little bit of Apple. He, the people he brought in to help him, he was not like a financial genius. He, that wasn't his area of, of expertise. But he brought in people from all these different industries. He said, I don't really want to have a bunch of financial people around me. I want to have people who are just like brilliant thinkers and, and they can help create something very, very special. So he had, I think he had eight or 10 people on his executive committee, and very few of them were financial experts. Um, and then he just embraced the, the concept of design, which was, seemed very strange to me for a credit card company. I didn't know that that would be an issue, really. But the building was like amazing. I wanted to work there. It was so cool. And they had you know, furniture from great designers around the world, and their lobby was amazing. And um, the cafeteria was amazing. It was all very, very cool. And they treated their credit cards, these products that they make, as jewels. It was like, uh, they said when people take them to other parts of the world, a lot of times they get a reaction like, what is this thing? And they're, no, it's a credit card. Trust me, just put it in the machine. It'll work. <laughs> because it doesn't look like a credit card. It's like very minimal, minimally designed. Um, and you, when you get your card in the mail, it would be in like this gorgeous box, like an Apple product would, would come. And it just sort of, they created this feeling of a, of a lifestyle, you know, that's the, you know, the way you'd rather live, 
you want to be a part of that world. And, and they, they've nurtured that over these years and done kind of amazing things. A, a credit card company that, that loves des- great design. They do design projects for other companies. They, they were doing, they were designing bus shelters for the, for, for the city of Seoul when I was there. And they had these gorgeous designs on the wall. You know, that's, they just give their people the freedom to create things and, and, and help in these, you know, civic duties. So very, very impressive. And, and as a result of all that, people love working there. You know, it's like uh, it, they're inspired to go to work every day. And you wouldn't think that necessarily of a credit card company. So things like that really surprised me. I was, I was delighted when I saw um, so that. But other large companies, DirecTV, South America, um, the bank I mentioned, Westpac Bank, there are all these big companies that actually found ways to to move seriously in a simpler simpler direction and see visible results. So it's it gives you hope for the world. <laughs> so speaking of simplicity and keeping things simple, um, one thing that happens to many authors is that their books start getting away from them in scope and different things like that. Um, did that occur while you were writing uh, Think Simple? And if so, how did you rein it back in? Well. You don't have to worry about things like that with me because my brain tends to stay on one track. And <laughs> I can't think in a, in a very complex way, really. I'm very simple. Um, no, it, it did in the sense that I, the first book I wrote was based on my own experiences with Steve Jobs mostly um, and other companies I've worked with. So that was rather quick. It took me six months. This new book, I thought I'd learned all these lessons and I could do it so much faster. It took me two years to do it. And that's because I had these 40 interviews, each one's an hour or two hours. I had to transcribe everything and pull out the parts that made the most sense to me. And then somehow weave these 40 stories into one story that made like a good book. So um, it was just a lot more work than I thought. But, you know, it's not like it, it expanded out of control. It just expanded in sheer volume that I... I wondered how I would control, but you know, I, I sort of came up with a methodology as I went along of going through each transcript one at a time and pulling out the things that were surprising or interesting and, and putting them in columns with the other people I'd spoken to and trying to you know, see what, what points of difference they had and what points of similarity they had. So I, I'm not sure if I ever want to do it again, but it was, it was interesting. <laughs> I was talking to my editor earlier today and I was like, I have you know, a lot of appreciation for people who um, will do the interview book and weave it all together because it's, it's more challenging than one might think. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was going to say, one person who did that amazingly, I thought, was Walter Isaacson in the Steve Jobs biography. A lot of people don't like the book, people from the world of Apple in particular. Um, and I think it was too negative. You know, I think Steve was a, a much more interesting and positive person than he was portrayed in, in the book. He was pretty negative. Um, but what did strike me was like the, you know, the, what, there were like 20 some odd interviews with Steve. And then there were like a couple of hundred interviews with other people. And to turn that into one story as he did, it's just, uh, it just is so daunting. But I assume at his level, he's got a whole staff working with them and he can sort of direct them. It might be easier than, you know, the, what, the challenge that faces guys like you or me <laughs> we yeah. all by ourselves. So what did you learn from the writing of Think Simple that, that you really appreciate or, you know, maybe it was surprising to you, but, you know, you learn something every time you do something, a project like this. Yeah, I mean, I think for, I mean, I always had this belief that simplicity was this incredibly powerful concept in advertising. 
And I came to believe that even more so. But in addition, just what an, an incredibly powerful business concept it is and how it can be applied to so many different parts of a business. So it was eye-opening in that way. Um, it, it was something I already believed in, but by the time I was done with it, I, I believed it in a bigger way. So it worked out very, very well. And, and, you know, opened my eyes to what life is like in these other industries that I've never really been part of. Most of my advertising life has been with technology companies, BMW thrown in as well, but um, mostly that. So, you know, to suddenly be talking to like the CEO of Whole Foods and the container store and, um, uh, Jerry Greenfield from Ben and Jerry's. He was a really interesting one. So very, very interesting people who, um, who I found to my delight, they agreed with me, <laughs> but then they also corrected me sometimes. In fact, Ben and Jerry's, uh, Jerry Greenfield is, is a very good example because I started, he was one of the first ones I interviewed and, and I was laying the concept on him that, that you know, simplicity and your company has always been so focused and it's grown to this global thing. And I, I'm wondering how you, you maintain that. Well, he's sort of stopped me at the beginning and said, you know, there's this difference between something that's, that's simple and appears to be simple. And that's how I started my book, actually, because I think it's a really good point that um, it is this perception of simplicity that's important. You know, a person who uses a product or a service doesn't give a hoot how hard it was for you to create it. Um, whether they feel like it's simple or not is the only thing that matters. It doesn't, you know, nothing else matters. Like you can look at an iPhone, obviously it took years of research and technological development, but I just want to know whether I can pick it up and use it. And I don't really care how, how hard you had to work, you know? Mm -hmm. So Jerry Greenfield's point was that ice cream machines, when they started out, were made for smooth ice cream. There was nobody, there, were, there was no machinery available that could take these big chunks of candy and cookies and, and mix them together and, and make ice cream in quantities. So they had to mix their ice cream by hand in the back room in the first, you know, the first shop they in, that, that they opened. And um, to succeed, they had to basically invent machinery. And that was not easy at all. But, you know, when they finally did it, you still have this perception of Ben and Jerry's as being fun ice cream it's got the graphics that are always the same and these these interesting flavors and there's a story about you know the company being having a social conscience and all that um but it's all based on a thing that's like really really hard to do but you'd never really think that yeah what the image that just came up for me is you know the the iceberg metaphor and it seems like the more simple something appears to be the more that's under the surface that you don't see uh, most of the time whereas you know, yeah. when we throw a big product and it's got all the features and we could talk and blah, blah, blah. It's like, we see a lot of the iceberg, but maybe yeah. I would have liked it to be, have a little bit more under the water. Yeah. I think that's a very good analogy. Uh, and, and again, I, you know, as I always do, go back to Steve Jobs. I think he was really good at, at handling, staying on top of all those details that you can't even imagine are there. He just had his vision and didn't want to want to see people wreck it you know it's like we have to keep the idea pure and there's all these complicating factors and i've told you know my stories many times to people about um you know telling steve that something couldn't be done and 
like we had to print something and, and, you know, he wanted it to run like in, in two weeks, it was like a 16 page piece back in the days when the internet was sort of just taking off. But, you know, we had to put these things in the news weekly magazines and, and he wanted it to be printed and he'd approved it and like, let's get it run in two weeks. Like, well, can't really do that. They, you know, they're, they have a whole thing process. It's like six weeks, you know, they can't do it. And I gave him all the reasons because my production person told me all the reasons and, and Steve just said, that's ridiculous. They print, you know, uh, I think their magazine is like, you know, 64 pages or something every week. And so, they, you know, and they do it every week. They don't wait six weeks. So I want to run this thing in two weeks. Like, you know, if you can't do it, then I'll find someone who can. And it's like, uh-oh, <laughs> we better find someone quick. So, you know, then you pressure the news weekly and they go, well, yeah, we can, we can do it if we really had to do it, basically. So you, it's one of those lessons I learned. Because I put my reputation out there for Steve, and I just I explained to him very, you know, very calmly about you know, a way this couldn't be done. You're asking the, the impossible, and that turned out to be possible because he just used common sense and said, obviously, if we really, really want to do something, we can do it. Um, and you can't tell me we can't do it. And I, I did tell him we can't do it. <laughs> so I had to sort of fight my way back to credibility with him after that little episode. Um, but I think those are the things that, that every leader encounters, you know, there's, you know, people who say things can't be done. And that was certainly one of the things that made Steve Jobs who he is, who he was. Um, he didn't take no for an answer very often. I think that's a beauty from a leader. Like when you know that that's one of their lines, like you can't go to Steve, you can't go to some leaders and say it can't be done. You have to figure out how it's going to get done and yeah. how it's going to get done. And you know, maybe say it's going to be, this much more expensive than it might have otherwise be and we can do it right um yeah. and so it's it's just i mean you, you hinted at that a little bit in the um maybe not that directly let's see i might be confused but um when you were talking about values right this is just one of those personal values that some people will have around like finding finding and creating solutions where it seems to be impossible to do so right um some people have that sort of drive and it's good to know um it's good yeah. to know the team and yeah. it's good to them yeah, I think, I mean, you know, all through your life, various leaders tell you that, you know, you'll never be perfect. You'll always make mistakes and you always learn from your mistakes. And I think Steve made mistakes. But, yeah, I mean, that was one example of, of something I did once and never did again with him. It's like, you know, you get burned and go, hmm, okay, well, I'm not going to last too long if I have that attitude in the future. <laughs> so then it, then it did become like, okay, how are we going to approach this problem and, and solve it? And you realize that that's, that's, I'm sure that's what Steve did with everyone, with his designers and engineers. And it's like, you know, you hear all the stories about the development of the iPhone, for example, and how, you know, the engineers wanted three buttons. And he's like, you know what? I don't want any buttons. <laughs> and they're like, well, you have to have something in there. And it's, you know, you can't do it otherwise. And it's like, no, sure, you can do it. And, um, you know, they end up compromising on one button, which is pretty darn simple. Um, yeah, so I, I think, you know, there, there, there are many stories about people saying that Steve Jobs got them to perform at a higher level than they thought them possible of, of themselves. And I, I, I am here to personally attest to that. I think he definitely pushed, um, and we ended up doing some stuff that was better than what we originally were going to do. And that original thing we thought was really, really good. You know, and he pushed it even farther. So not many CEOs have that level of, of, you know, judgment, creative taste and that kind of thing. So again, what made Steve special? Yeah. 
if you had to, so let's imagine any random organization out there, and I know this is a hard one, right? I, I would say it depends to this question, right? But if you had to say, if, you're, if you think that you're swimming upstream in complexity and things like that, and you had to start in one place, um, that would be the 85% solution for everybody. Where would that one place be? Well, one thing I heard from a lot of these leaders uh, and also saw in Steve Jobs for sure was the ability to put themselves in the customer's shoes and be really brutal about that. And some of these things, it's, it's like we were talking about before, about you know, simple ideas seem so obvious. So I say, put yourself in the customer's shoes. And it's like, well, how could, could you be any more obvious, Ken? <laughs> but, it's, but it's true. And it's amazing how many people do that. And then they're like, well, yeah, but we need to compromise here or there because it's just not possible, whatever. And I think the people who are really good at it um, are able to sort of step outside their own company and look at it totally from the, uh, from the eye of the customer and ask themselves, um, is this such a good experience that people would actually tell their friends and family about it? Or, or is it just kind of like, you know, they interact with us and then they forget us because they could probably go anywhere and get the same kind of experience. And I think when you're really, really ruthless about, you know, you know, whether or not you are giving people something that's just, you know, that will delight them versus just possibly satisfy them. That's the difference. And I think it's, it's the simpler experience, you know, is normally that thing that you can love more. And, and that simpler experience is what creates loyalty. You could look at Apple's, you know, audience. I mean, they're the most loyal customers in the world because they've gotten that, you know, not just once or twice, but five, six, seven times in a row, they keep buying stuff and, and get delighted by it. You know, and when the company stops doing that, that's when they start losing customers. But, you know, all along the way, people are talking about them. And, you know, so the ability to sort of separate yourself from the company and, and be the customer, look at, you know, how you feel from the very first ad to what you, you know, the packaging of the product, the whole experience, and look at where you can make that better. Again, it, it, I, I feel obvious pointing this out, but it is kind of amazing how many companies could improve if they just stepped back and went through that exercise. Absolutely. I'm going to jump on there and say the smaller the company, sometimes the more you have to do that because usually you have a smaller team that's in the development and mm-hmm. has that sort of expert expertise trap and clearly everybody knows what you know and everybody will value what you value and things like that. So it's almost, I think that might be an advantage of larger organizations that people can look at whatever it is and say, what is this? Well, like what, why, you know, I don't understand where smaller companies, you tend to get group think a little bit more. Yeah. I found interesting differences in the small companies and big companies too. Um, the smaller companies tended to, or again, Jeff Fleur, the StubHub founder, uh, co-founder, he talked about, well, we didn't have a mission statement or anything like that. We just kind of like did it. And it was this thing that had value from the beginning. You know, a lot of companies sort of have struggled to create the value first and then find ways to monetize it. Well, StubHub, every time, you know, you bought tickets, you'd be paying a hundred dollars and they just say, we'll take 10%. You know, they were making money from the very, very start. And he thought, well, I've never really run a company before, but then the more successful they became and he started bringing in people who had a little bit more business experience. Finally, somebody said, shouldn't we have like a mission or something? (laughs) Um, 
so it's something to sort of guide us as we create new products and new services and things. And, and he said, he never really thought about that before, but it, they did that and they found um, kind of in, in their advertising materials, they found a line that, that worked for them, which was that uh, StubHub is all about the fan. So fans want to sell their tickets, fans want to buy their tickets. It's, if you're a fan of music or a fan of sports, this is the place you want to be. And that not only helped them you know, keep the site focused, but it even helped them when they ran into legal issues and uh, they were attacked by everyone, you know, the, the teams, the musicians, the venues, everybody was saying, you can't resell tickets. That's, you know, not fair. Um, and they said, it's for the fans. That's what the fans want to do. Uh, and, and that was their defense in court. Um, and they succeeded, you know, in, in putting their case forward. It's like, yeah, that's all, all we care about is making fans happy. That's, that's why this company exists. That's our mission. And that's our guideline for everything we do. And uh, work pretty well for them. Good, good. If people remember nothing else about you um, or your body of work from this episode, what would you want that to be? Wow, that's something. Um, it's very funny because as someone who you know lost uh, his parents, you know, pretty long time ago now. But I remember going through all my like my father's stuff. My brother and sister and I got together. We we you know, this guy you know he lived a long happy life. And we ended up having like a little box that represented his accomplishments. And it was kind of depressing. Like, no, that's what people are going to remember dad. Huh? You know, so nobody's ever really asked me that. I try, I have a little bit more than can fit in one box right now, but uh, I'm certain that'll be the case. Uh, no, I really think, you know, I guess because I've written two books about simplicity now, I, that is kind of like my, passion right now. That's what I go around talking about and everything. So if I, you know, became the guy who, who, you know, who saw the, the power of simplicity and tried to, you know, help other companies do that, I think that would be a happy thing for me. Um, and then there's always my little letter I, you know, and that was uh, the big deal for me was, was creating that, but that'll go away sometime soon, you know, so there you have it. And the eye was pretty simple. (laughs) It was. It was very, very simple. Um, And thanks so much for your contributions to that simplicity because I could not buy another CK3600 i2 computer. Like, what is that product? (laughs) Yeah. And that's one of those common sense, obvious things, too, when you look at how many products there are in the world that, that have impossible names. And you think, like, you know, you want people to be able to say, like, you know, I love my iPhone or I love my Galaxy or, you know, something like that. And yet they have these, these names that are impossible. Um, you can't, you can't refer to them in conversation. You know what? It just seems like, isn't it pretty obvious that you're, you're making things more difficult than they have to be. And yet, you know, it keeps happening. In fact, so once in a while, somebody asks me the question, well, what's going to happen when you know, the whole world is becoming simpler in certain ways and a lot of people out there trying to, to do that? So what happens when everything is simple and then the power of simplicity won't be differentiating at all anymore? I'm like, well, I honestly don't think you'll have to worry about that for a few thousand more years <laughs> at the very least because it is in our nature. Just look all around us. I mean, I think people who, who understand and appreciate the power of simplicity will, will always have an advantage. 
Um, and then one day far, far in the future, we can worry about what happens when everything is simple. Wherever you have groups of people, you will have complexity erupt upon you. If you don't believe me, add an, add one guest to your dinner party and ask them where you want, where ask the party where they want to go. You'll get complexity all over the place, right? Very, very true. Yeah. All right, Ken. Thanks so much for joining me today. And, and I really appreciate your body of work here. Well, it was my pleasure and uh, let's get together any old time. Okay, Creative Giant. So you heard it from Ken. What can you do to embrace and advocate simplicity in your life, in your organization to make things better, more useful, and more delightful? Until next time, stand tall. Thanks for listening to the Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, Creative Giant.